You're listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. Today's episode features a conversation on the final weeks of the state legislative session. Members of NYSAC's legislative staff will discuss top priorities for counties from this session and other key concerns on the horizon. So welcome everyone today for County Conversations. Today's another in a series of discussions with uh, folks from the New York State Association of Counties about issues important to counties. And today we're really gonna talk about things that happened post-budget, the, the last few weeks of session. So today we have with us uh, Ryan Gregoire, our legislative director, Pat Cummings, council, and myself, uh, Dave Lucas. I'm the director of finance and intergovernmental affairs here. So um, it was a pretty tumultuous session, uh, but at the same time, it seemed to fall under regular order. So headed into the legislature's summer vacation, Ryan, I ask you first, uh, how does a report card look for counties? How do we do at the end of session? Yeah, thanks, Dave. And, and that's a great question. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because if you had asked me that maybe last week, I wouldn't have had such a, uh, an optimistic outlook, but I am pleased to report that NISAC was able to achieve um, all five of our top legislative priorities uh, this year. They've passed through both chambers of the legislature and they will be delivered to the governor in the coming weeks. And just to recap for everyone who's on, on the uh, listening to today's podcast, those top five priorities were the enactment of an early intervention covered lives assessment fee for commercial insurance, expansion of investment options for counties, the creation of an AIM, eight municipalities, redesign task force, raising the age of juvenile delinquent offenses from seven to 12, and extending the countywide shared services initiative with additional flexibility. So uh, really proud of our accomplishments during this post-budget session period. And it was great to have such a strong voice here in Albany from all of the county members uh, chiming in on these bills. Great, thanks Ryan. Could you, could you elaborate a little bit about the, the early intervention proposal and why we think that's important for counties? Uh, about does it help streamline the program or, or save counties money? Sure, Dave. So this, this piece of legislation has been carried by Assemblywoman Pollen. She's a Westchester County Democrat um, in the assembly for over 18 years. And we were fortunate enough this year to have a very strong coalition of early childhood uh, program, early intervention program advocates and providers along with the county health officials and of course NISAC pushing this legislation. And really what it does when you boil it down is this legislation creates a new covered lives assessment fee of $40 million on commercial insurance. So what does that mean? That means that ratepayers will be paying a very small annual increase in premiums less than $1 in most parts of the state per year. But that $40 million goes a long way to helping shore up the stability, the financial stability of this program and the integrity of the services that our youngest population, the zero to three-year-old children rely on. The early intervention program really started in, in New York State in 1992. 
And the program, of course, has grown and matured over time. But one thing that's remained constant is commercial insurance is paying less than 2% of the cost of the entire state program. And this legislation really sets the foundation for reforming the way the early intervention program is funded and the interaction that providers like PT, OT, and speech pathologists have with the state of New York. If the governor signs this legislation into law, which we're all hoping he will do, not only will it alleviate county financial burdens and concerns with uh, this program, but it will also allow providers to build directly for services straight to the counties, bypassing a very cumbersome, uh, long drawn out process with private sector insurers that often deny these claims. So I know, you know, this is a very complex proposal that advanced through the legislature. There was certainly a lot of uh, rhetoric on, you know, across the board, political rhetoric across the board. But at the end of the day, when you boil it all down, this legislation does two things. It helps save county taxpayers money by helping to alleviate some of the uh, financial pressures that counties have in this program. And counties, I should note, spend more than $180 million in the early intervention program statewide. But, the pro but this legislation also helps providers streamline the process. And why is that so critical? Because we're seeing across the state of New York in many communities, um, a significant provider shortage, early intervention provider shortage. And the reason why that's important is because if the children who really need these early intervention services are not able to access them, which is required under the federal government IDEA Act, then we're doing a disservice to those children. And if they're not able to get the services that they need, speech, pathology, uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, then we're setting them up for a more challenging and difficult life ahead of them. And I don't think anyone wants that at the end of the day. So this legislation is critical for the program's integrity going for into the future. Certainly there's additional reforms that are going to need to take place. You know, the program's been in existence now for almost 30 years. And um, this is one initial first step in reforming the early intervention program. Great, great, thanks, Ryan. Um, you know, when you look at our, our top five here, a couple of them are really geared towards our youth, you know, our, our very young, the you know, zero to three year olds. And there was a second proposal that we were seeking and we've been seeking it for many years. And, you know, I'm gonna to defer to both uh, Pat and you to talk a little bit about changing the age of juvenile delinquency or raising it from seven to 12 and what are the implications for counties and for the children and families that are involved in the, the system, be it the criminal justice system or the, the family court system. Uh, would you like to elaborate a little bit on, on that legislation that passed that we were seeking for such a long time. Yeah, thanks, Dave. And, and that's another um, great point that you brought up. Again, this is another priority to help the kids who enter um, in this situation, the juvenile justice, criminal justice system with counties. I'll, I wanna talk a little bit about the fiscal uh, implications for counties and what it means with our 
um, secure detention facilities across the state. But before I get there, I do want to go to Pat Cummings in our office to talk about the impact of this legislation, uh, raising the age of juvenile delinquent offenders from seven to 12, and what that means for the family court system, and also, um, you know, county probation and county social service departments. Pat? Sure, yeah, thanks, Ryan. Um, yeah, th this, is a, this is a big change. Um, you know, we, we've, uh, count, your county attorneys are the ones that, that if, um, if someone, uh, an individual between seven and 12 gets uh, arrested or um, gets into from family court, this is something your, your, your county attorneys are normally handling um, within family court. And this, this is, this is uh, law, when you, when you really boil it down, is, is saying that um, these will no longer be JD matters. They'll still, they'll still be PINs matters. You know, um, uh, for uh, person in needs um, situations, there's a little bit difference between JD and pins matters, um, but the, the, there's there's uh, this this is really taking um, a pretty big lift off the county attorney's um, hands uh, with with not having to have this and in, in these kind of matters in family court anymore. Uh, however, as Ryan's pointing out, it doesn't mean that the services are going away. Um, if, if, uh, if, a, if a child's in family court for a, a JD matter at this age, there's typically, uh, it's an indication that some kind of service is going to be needed. This, I don't think this law is taking anything like that away. There will be further need and, and understanding and guidance of how um, our, our social services um, safety net can step in and help out and other service programs from your counties. So there might be there might be a, a, a slight increase um, in, in these services. Um, but uh, that said, um, usually they're they're already involved um, in, in these kind of matters. So um, as far as the policy goes, um, it seems like a good one, a good one for counties, um, good one for, uh, for, for, for really everybody involved. Thanks, Pat. And, you know, just to piggyback off of what Pat said, there is this chance that these individuals, um, that abuse or neglect cases may open up, which would uh, increase caseworker and wraparound services for these children on the social service end of the spectrum. But there's also going to be savings for counties on the secure detention side. Um, and that's what occurs when one of these individuals currently is arrested. They would be remanded to uh, secure detention, which costs, you know, over $1,500 a day per individual in, in that placement. So there's a capacity issue right now in, in the juvenile uh, secure detention and specialized secure detention space. But this legislation uh, will certainly help alleviate some of the burdens of having these individuals have to be, these kids really, a seven-year-old is a kid, uh, have to be placed in that kind of a facility. So overall, I think it's, it eases a lot of pressures on counties, both financially, but also as Pat alluded to with the county attorney's office, um, there still may be ancillary services that need to occur, but Honestly, uh, if an individual, if a JD came into, um, you know, the county probation space originally, and there was any suspicion of abuse or neglect going on in that household, there would have been an automatic um, 
case opened on that child and on that family. So I, you know, in, in speaking with the New York Public Welfare Association that represents county DSS uh, commissioners, I don't think we're going to see um, any significant increase in the number of DSS cases. Uh, if anything, it'll help connect kids to the services they need uh, faster. So this is, this is a great piece of legislation. It's been in the making for years. Um, I know that this has been a priority of the Association of Counties for over a decade. So again, another long-term piece of legislation out there. And we finally were able to help champion this and, and get it over the finish line. Yeah, and as far as case, thanks, Ryan. And as far as like you know, caseload goes, you know, we have, we we probably saw an uptick, and uh, it should have been anticipated with with um, the, the 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 raise the age uh, that that occurred um, years back, uh, a couple years back now. It, the, this this is almost um, the the opposite of that, right? So you know, now we're doing the rate raise the age for uh, within family court um, of what kind of matters can be considered uh, in front of the court for. JD matters, and so so some of some of that caseload should be lessened now in the, in the court um, to compensate. It's good to hear. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Mega delivers energy savings to more than 300 municipalities and organizations throughout New York State. Participation in MEGA helps local governments reduce energy bills and support renewable energy development through the power of partnership. Learn more at megaenergy.org. There was one bill I was particularly interested in, in addition to these, was the, uh, the bill that expanded investment options for counties. For a long time, New York City's had a little bit more flexibility than the counties and how they could invest their their idle funds when they weren't needed in the in the near term. Uh, but we do have uh, reserves at the at the county level, and New York City did as well. And now with the ARPA funds coming in, there's over a billion dollars in funds coming in the from the, from the federal government that will not be spent immediately. So they will sit for a little bit. We were really glad to see this investment option proposal pass because um, it really provides a a big boost for our financial managers to increase their interest earnings under this, under this new uh, methodology uh, in very safe investments that a lot of states are, other use, that are already using. Um, and under the ARPA rules, the Treasury Department said we can put the money in interest-bearing accounts and we do not have to remit it, remit it back to Treasury. It actually becomes these earnings on the ARPA funds at least uh, will be available for county purposes. and. Anytime you can increase interest earnings or any other revenue account, it puts uh, less pressure on the taxpayer locally. And, and that's a, a very positive thing. So I was really, that's something I was really glad to see uh, pass as well. Um, so we're at, the, we're at the end of session, but are we really at the end of session? Is there a chance they might come back? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a million dollar question, Dave. Um, you know, one, Thing that's happened through the COVID-19 pandemic is the state legislature has modified their rules to allow for a hybrid system to occur uh, to pass legislation. So even all the way up through uh, this, the end of session, legislators have the option of 
working remotely. And by that, I mean, they, they could be at home and vote on and debate on bills from, from the comfort of their house. Certainly some took advantage of that. Others uh, decided to come to the floor in Albany and you know the, the state capitol still remains closed. So, you know, uh, Leader Stuart Cousins and Speaker Heasty have both alluded to, um, you know, if something comes up, if there's a major issue, if there's additional policy that needs to be addressed, they are happy to reconvene and bring the members back. Now, there is no such thing as, in Albany, there is no such thing as permanently ending session. Um, and you know, one thing that I want to mention uh, for our listeners is, and, and the reason why that is critical is because literally they can, they can bring anyone, they can bring all the state lawmakers back whenever they want to. So I don't know if it's the real end of session. We'll have to see, you know, there's a couple uh, additional priorities out there. I know there's a juvenile justice uh, policy priority called the Clean Slate Act that advocates are looking to push for, uh, for which would seal, automatically seal most criminal uh, records for individuals. We'll have to see if the legislature can, can whip enough votes um, in both chambers to get that passed. I don't know if they have enough votes uh, right now, um, but certainly, you know, as, as other legislative priorities trickle through, uh, there is a chance that they would return to Albany. And you know, one thing I wanted to mention with end of session, there's a couple other legislative priorities, and I, you know, I want to just uh, do a quick shout out and thank the freshman members who came to Albany this year for really diving straight into the weeds, engaging with NISAC in our lobby days earlier this year. Um, you know, continually being available via phone calls and text messages. Um, you know, they they really worked hard to move a lot of priority legislation for us, including a proposal to extend the countywide shared services initiative, but also allow prior year projects to be eligible for matching funds of the CWSSI program. And there was another proposal which will create an aid to municipalities redesign task force, um, both championed by freshman members in the assembly um, and it was great to partner with, with both of them to, to get these bills passed. So I just did want to highlight that as well. Great. Let me, let me just tag on that too, right? What, what Ryan's saying, I think, is, is important for members to hear that, that uh, the, the session doesn't end until the calendar year ends. And, that, and while that's true in all years, um, they usually have to drive back up to Albany to get there. Now they can uh, just go via Zoom and, and things can still happen this year. So although today marks the end in some ways of, of session, um, this being being Friday, we're recording this um, the 11th, but uh, for you, the members know that whether these bills that we're talking about, you know, the EI uh, covered lives to even things that didn't pass both houses, like Ryan just mentioned the clean slate, you still have time to weigh in on these, these matters. Um, and, and certainly even things that passed with, with uh, in two houses, they're, they're not a guarantee to get the governor's uh, signature just yet. If you want them, um, definitely support them and keep pushing for them. And we will do the same on our end. Um, if it's something that you'd like to see passed, it's still you still it's still possible. 
um, if, if it's if it's something you want amended or even a chapter amendment, um, let us know. Um, these are these are th something things that we're going to keep working on throughout the whole year. That's a great point, Pat. Is there's always an opportunity to weigh in with the executive as he reviews bills to determine if they're going to sign them or not. So it, it kind of sounds like the even though they weren't all here in person, the, the virtual session did work in a way and we had access to members. It was just it was just a different way to, to connect with them. I do recall when we had our uh, lobby days that you, you almost had more members at the county level participating because there's only so many people you could jam into a small office up in you know the legislative office building, but on Zoom, you can pack in a hundred people and it's no problem. So, yeah, and, and one thing, you know, I, I think a lot of groups out there struggled out of the gate, and certainly it, it was an adjustment for our team as well, to engage with state lawmakers in a virtual environment. It's a lot different than being able to walk up the hill and walk into the Capitol and pull them off the floor, walk into their offices, talk to staff face to face. You know, that didn't occur this year. It didn't occur last year either for the, for the most part last year. But one thing that um, was a success coming out of the pandemic was our ability to connect with more lawmakers uh, than ever before. You know, our, our lobby days, our lobby meetings, the phone calls, the tweets, the texts, it was a lot easier um, to communicate with lawmakers on a more regular basis uh, this year. And I think that played to our advantage, um, which was great. You know, we were able to we were able to provide research and information, factual information to state lawmakers as they considered legislation. And they were not shy and, and they were not hesitant to reach out to us. And likewise, certainly um, maybe we badgered them too much. But uh, at, at the end of the day, I do think we were quite successful in adapting to this virtual environment. And, you know, I, I can envision the legislature in the future sticking with some hybrid version. But the good thing is, you know, here at NISAC, we know how to work in both worlds, whether it's in person or virtually. Um, it, it works well on, on both ends of the equation. And you know we'll we'll just continue to refine our skills and and continue to advocate for the counties. So it it does look like they're look, heading for home for now. Um, I know we didn't get everything we wanted. There's always things that slip through the cracks um, that we didn't get done, and, and this was kind of a a low point year for home rule bills, home rule requests from counties. There was only a handful of them out there. And I think we did okay on those. Um, it's, it's been really hard the last several years to push through a home rule revenue bill where you're uh, seeking authorization for a brand new tax or trying to raise an existing tax. Uh, the legislature has very, been very reticent about passing those, but they, some of them still get passed. And, you know, I think when, from my vantage point here, it's, it's really that relationship between the county official and your, and your state representatives. And, if that, that bond needs to be very strong for, the, for your state representative to help you push that bill through and make sure it gets voted on. Because if, if it comes up for a vote, they, they tend to pass um, because it is a home rule issue and you know home rule is very important in this state. 
it's really making sure you can work closely with your member and get those bills passed. So I know that's something that if something didn't get done now and they come back, maybe that's something people could continue to work on. So what do you think the priorities are gonna be on the horizon uh, for NISAC and the counties uh, as we move forward through the rest of the year? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Dave. Um, and, and you know, one of the top priorities that we've had for a couple of years now is reforming what's called uh, the 730 exam process and getting individuals who are deemed mentally incompetent restored to competency to stand trial. It, this is an issue that Pat and I have been working on with our partners at the uh, Conference of Local Mental Hygiene Directors, the association that represents um, your community service officers and your mental health commissioners. This is a top priority of ours to address. As many county officials remember, last year the state shifted 100% of these costs onto counties. It used to be a 50-50 split. And we're in the process of developing um, a very comprehensive proposal to completely um, reform the way that we treat individuals who um, may have committed a crime or who have been accused of committing a crime, but also need mental health services. So we're looking at that from a comprehensive lens. And that's certainly something we're going to be pushing for very hard next year. And another piece of uh, legislation that we're working on with the Sheriff's Association and the personnel directors, and again, this is another priority of Pat and I, is to reform the civil service, sec uh, I'm sorry, to reform the civil service law to make it easier and more flexible for counties to hire diverse and uh, diverse applicants, but also um, make it easier for them to fill vacancies that they may have for certain positions. So, and, and this really, this proposal is really coming out of EO203, which is the police reform collaborative initiative that the governor uh, put in place last year. And uh, together with our municipal partners, we're trying to come up with a series of civil service reforms uh, to alleviate some of these issues that counties are experiencing. So those are a couple top priorities priorities of ours. Of course, you know, one thing that we will always be cognizant of and something I do wanna draw all of our county officials to is the Medicaid program. And two years ago, you know, the counties were really under assault in the state of New York uh, to fight to keep the cap. That was the campaign during the budget uh, process in 2020. Um, and again, it's going to be another issue next year. The Medicaid program has expanded tremendously uh, over the course of this year. And we're really going to have to monitor and engage with our state lawmakers to ensure that, you know, that program remains um, balanced in the way that it's funded and we do not want uh, counties to have to be contributing more towards that Medicaid program. So certainly those are a couple big ticket items on the horizon. And um, you know, where, as Pat had mentioned, and Dave, as you had mentioned as well, session doesn't end until the end of the year. There's going to be you know, more bills that come up. There's going to be 
um, more opportunities to weigh in with state lawmakers. And just because the schedule is technically over with does not mean that you should not be continuing to engage with your state delegation. They need to hear from the county officials what's working, what's not working in their community. They, they need to have a strong partnership with you on the ground so we collectively can push legislation through and they can understand the roles and responsibilities of county governments. Yeah, Ryan, I mean, isn't it true? The, the, the assembly gaveled out, I think, of three or four last night, and yet even today, you were sending me bills that the assembly's introducing even today. So they, didn't, they did not take a day off on, on uh, introducing new legislation. And so we should just all be aware of, of that and that, it, that it's, it's gonna keep moving in some capacity. Well, thank you, Pat and Ryan. Um, you know, and I, I know one other thing we'll be looking at as we go forward too is this, this whole concept of the state diverting local sales tax to pay for state programs. It's just uh, a real thorny issue. And I think the legislature supports our side of the argument that that is not something that should continue as we go forward. Um, and for our listeners, we're hoping that we can see you in the fall this year. We will be having our fall seminar uh, in Syracuse this year in person. Um, so we're hoping folks can make it and that you can keep in touch with us. And if you have any questions, just reach out to, to NISAC uh, and we're ready and willing and happy to help. Thank you. NISAC will also be releasing a report on bills the legislature passed that details the impact of this legislative session on New York's counties, which will be available at NISAC.org advocacy. As always, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of County Conversations, and make sure to keep tuning in each Monday for new episodes.